podcasting world. Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. Cole, what's going on, man? What's your name? Mike. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm one of the hosts. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> this is my buddy Cole. He, he hangs out here too. Yeah, just occasionally. We no. do uh, we do podcasts together. I'm sweating a little bit because it is hot. It is super there. hot outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Charleston. I know. Great to be here. Let's think about going to the beach tomorrow. 92 degrees. Don't think I'm going to go to the beach tomorrow. Might have a heat stroke. I very well could. You need every edge when you're out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not It's not good. Between like one and five, just don't really go outside. Just stay inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see the outside again probably around October when it gets back down into the high 80s. Yeah, it's still hot in October, man. That's true. You know? We, it's cool because we have like two months of winter here. Yeah. Yeah, if that. And if it snows, you can forget it. Did we get snow this year? Fatality rate is going to be through the roof. Yes. Nobody if does it that. rains, the fatality rate. That's a good is. point. Man, there was a wreck on um, 26 going away from Charleston the mm-hmm. other morning. It shut off 26, like at rush hour for six miles. It was, I was like 45 minutes late. Mm. Not like late from opening, but just later than I want to get there. Yeah. Well, it's getting there early. That's what you got to do. Yeah. But apparently there were like fatalities. So very sad. Yeah, it's not good. No. So uh, what are we, what are we talking about today? I was going to ask Mike, do you have, um, do you have allergies? No. I don't really either. I don't either. I think every once in a while, so if I go running and I, you know, you know, outside running or whatever, and then I come inside for a little bit, I'll have some sneezing fits, but then it goes away and it's fine, but I don't have to like take medicine or anything for it. Yeah. I was concerned. So we got this new cat. I was concerned that I was going to have, you know, haven't really been around cats. That was a good call. No problem though. No. Yeah. Perfect. perfect, Perfectly fine. Perfect immune response. I know. It's like Superman immune system. Wow. Basically. That's cool. My wife is actually allergic to cats, but she just washed her hands. So did you buy her a cat like a joker? (laughs) (laughs) She wanted it, man. Ah, I got you exactly what you wanted. So I just thought, I thought everybody but me had allergies, but um, apparently it was like, you know, I was reading, oh, it's it's really common. 20% of people have allergies. And I was like, 20%. I lot. thought it was, well, I thought it was way more than that. Yeah. I thought it was like 99%. Not really, but, yeah. you know. We got a lot of pollen around here. I feel like, especially if you didn't grow up here, because you, you grew up in Charleston, right? Yeah, but I grew up in South Carolina. Okay. So, like, if you didn't grow up in, like, South Carolina and in the low country kind of thing, like, you know, weren't around the pollen, I feel like people that move here have a lot of problems. I hear a that. lot from the Ohioans. Is yeah. that what they're called? I don't know. They, they, they usually come down here and it's, like, bad allergies. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's part of it. Maybe we were just, like... We have a lot of humidity. Yeah. And um, dust mites thrive in human environments. Mm. I meant to look a little more into dust mites, but apparently there's little, just little little bugs just living microscopic. All yeah, all Who knew? A whole new world. That's what those dehumidifiers are for. I thought mm. that's just something that older people like to have. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Just yeah. like to have those things going. Honestly, <laughs> I'm still not convinced that that's not the reason. <laughs> Anyway, so obviously we're talking about allergies or allergic rhinitis today. Yes. That's the topic. I could have swore we'd done this when you asked me. Yeah. Um, but I realized that I had been like just going through um, every single episode to find, like whenever you ask me, have we done this? I just go through every episode to see there's a search tool. Is there? You can literally search. Huh. Yeah. If only we had known about know. that ahead of time. <laughs> I know. So that made it easy. So we have not done it for sure. Huh. I could Maybe have sworn we'd done this, but that's cool. Ulcerative colitis sounds a allerg- little bit like allergic rhinitis. It does rhyme. Yeah. Kind of. Maybe. No, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Anyways, oh, well. so we haven't done like, it. Hey, you did do it. It's on episode such and such. You're morons. Go ahead and send us a message so we know. <laughs> <laughs> 
actually, we'll do something twice. Actually, actually, don't. Yeah, we're going to have to. So we don't only know like six topics. So <laughs> I can just keep repeating and find new and interesting ways to do it. Yep. So allergic rhinitis, um, you know, rhinitis, that term is, is that uh, inflammation of the membranes that are going to be lining the nasal passage. Um, typically, patients will describe rhinorrhea, um, nasal congestion, sneezing, itching of the nose, sometimes the eyes as well. And, uh, you know, you'll normally see actual um, swollen uh, nasal cavity as long as uh, or as well as the nasal polyps can be present as well. Not always, but sometimes. Um, and it's usually clear rhinorrhea, so not like um, real thick green mucus or anything. It's usually clear, just runny nose. Um, one of the physical uh, exams uh, or signs, I'd rather, would be mouth breathing, yes. which is a funny term. Well, we all know mouth breathers. Yes, we do. And we're pretty good at it ourselves. And <laughs> it can actually cause like an overbite yeah. from mouth breathing. I've always looked at it as like a... Like an insulting term, not like just like, hey, you. Well, I think, it, yeah, you know, mouth, well, uh, oh, Stranger Things. Oh, here's, an, have you seen Stranger Things? No. Oh, another, Mike. Okay. I never can get your show. I think I, it's, I'm better at movies. I don't get shows. I'm pretty sure, like, so it's like these kids who play, like, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, so they're kind of uh -huh. nerdy, and then they call, like, the big lug guys, they call them mouth breathers. Oh, uh, okay. That, so it is an insulting term. Gotcha. Because they're dumb. See, here's the thing. <laughs> This is this is my deal with with, with TV shows because <laughs> I like movies. I can quote a lot of movies, but I can never get those TV shows because I, I don't have the time to commit to a, a show. Movie, I'm in. I watch. No commitment. See, that's so that's so funny because me and my wife cannot sit through a whole movie. It like if we watch it at home, it's a it's a like it's two, a two night series. Yeah, it's a two night. Seriously, that's not even a joke. Huh. So yeah, the 40, 40 to forty three minutes. That's kind of my yeah. That's good. Hmm. That works for me. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. You watch shows with the commercials still in them. No, I fast forward. Of course. Yeah. So I mean, so yeah, if I had to watch the whole show, I'm not going to watch yeah, the whole show. Okay. I was wondering what kind of shows you're watching. Yeah. Exactly 43 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's, well, you do Netflix shows. That's like true. if you did a Netflix show that used to be on TV, it's going to mm. be like 40 to 43 with the without the commercials. Gotcha. It's yeah. good. So yeah, that's why I don't ever get the TV shows. I don't have. I can't commit. It's good to know. I have no longer. We're long -term just commitment. so different, Mike. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so mouth breathers, I guess, would be a um, a negative term. Also, you may hear headache. Earache um, described a lot of times. That's because of the um, congestion. A lot of times you use a decongestant for that. Also, a nosemia, which uh, was brought up in our previous podcast when we were mm. talking about asparagus urine smell. Yes. Um, a very interesting debate about that. Yes, we did. If you haven't seen it, go for it. Uh, but red, uh, itchy eyes, fatigue, drowsiness, malaise, all that can be, can be, I guess, really caused by those initial symptoms that Mike described. Yeah, and, and also, too, there can be seasonal allergic rhinitis and also perennial. So it doesn't have to happen year-round. Um, you can't have seasonal where, like we were saying earlier, pollen and um, summer months start coming in and people start having to worry about their, their allergies again. Um, but basically, you know, and this is a gross uh, oversimplification, but our immune response, that's what's going on. We have our IgE antibodies that are going to bind with the allergen. Um, that's going to lead eventually to the activation of mast cells. Um, we have other pro-inflammatory mediators that are going to be then activated, and then we're going to get this vasodilation or this swelling and congestion um, in the nasal cavity. And then eventually we could get some uh, white blood cell activation and lymphocyte um, specifically activation as well. It kind of just makes the process worse. Yes, and so they, they term that the late phase response. Um, mm -hmm. It can be described about maybe four to eight hours after the initial um instigator or the allergen frequently that results in more congestion 
and uh, less runny nose and that sort of thing. Uh, and it can last a few hours or it can last for days. So you'll, that's why, you know, you'll you'll be asleep and still be congested and it could be for multiple days. Or um, you could just have these symptoms all the time, like a lot of people, and uh, come up to the pharmacy and ask what the very best thing is for it. And then uh, not take our advice. And then, then not do what we want. Yeah. But uh, we're going to tell you what is the best thing for most people. But, you know, some people respond better to some things than others. Mm-hmm. Some risk factors. Mm-hmm. Family history, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, there's a significant genetic, genetic component. Um, atopic dermatitis. Um, can also uh, lead to having allergic rhinitis as well. Patients with asthma are very prone to having allergic rhinitis. Um, we'll talk maybe about some dual therapy there. And um, patients who uh, either smoke themselves or, or are getting secondhand smoke um, can also make allergic rhinitis much worse. Um, if you're around pollen, mold, dust mites, other animals like cats, like cold household. Um, yeah. For sure, you can have some flare-ups. Fortunately, we did get a Russian blue, which is, um, they call it hypoallergenic. She still sheds, but like sheds a lot less than other cats. Mm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize Jen was so allergic to cats oh, until right? we were at, we went and visited her brother, and we were staying, um, we weren't even planning on staying over there, but we, we didn't feel like driving back because it got late. We were watching mm-hmm. a movie and stuff. So we ended up just like, sleeping on his couch like high schoolers or something and uh and then like all of a sudden like she woke up she said something's wrong and like her eyes were just like swollen (laughs) shut i was like oh boy all right let's go drive (laughs) back to the house but yeah she's apparently really allergic to it and we didn't really know we don't have a cat we have have a wolf we don't have a cat i know that's that's funny that people can be allergic to well i mean i guess because you're allergic to different things somebody told me that you're not actually allergic to the hair you're allergic to or maybe i just looked this up myself so this is just like it's made up. This was a long time ago. No, it's not like the hair. It's, um, I think it's like their saliva or something that you're allergic to. And so they lick themselves and saliva gets on mm. their hair. And so when you make contact with their hair, whatever is in the saliva is actually what we're, we're uh, reacting to. Like, like, yeah, totally. That could be totally wrong, but I'm pretty... I, that sounds like something I read in a science fiction book. But right. you know what? I read it somewhere. I'm pretty sure. Maybe somebody told me. Hmm. Never know. Cats. You never you know. You, why I don't trust them. You never know with cats. <laughs> Definitely don't trust cats. That's why I live my life by that rule. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned that, you know, it could affect approximately 20% of the population. Saw another stat that was like 3 to 20% of Americans, which is just nonsense. That I don't know. It's too too broad. It's definitely not 3%. There's way more. Uh, but 30 to 60 million people. As far as um, cost, uh, the in 2011... They um, determined that people with allergic rhinitis had averaged three additional office visits per year, nine more prescriptions, and fifteen hundred dollars in incremental health care costs than someone without allergies. And that's that just, hurts. That's just allergies. You think of it as being very, you know, benign, no big deal, but you're going to spend money on that Zyrtec. Yeah, you know? especially it's benign when you don't suffer from it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, oh, allergies. You how just hard look that, at other how people. How hard could that be? <laughs> you just look at other people. Jeez. And watch them suffer. So the goals of treatment, obviously, would be to control the symptoms um, and then also to reduce some of the fatigue um, during the day and improve sleep at night, Um, whether the fatigue's coming from lack of sleep at night because of the symptoms or because of certain medications that people often will try over the counter um, can cause some some fatigue. You'd want to limit that. And then um, also if somebody's having really bad congestion and sinus problems, then uh, it can affect patients' tastes and obviously smell as well. But uh, you'd want to improve that for quality of life. Um, And then the big one would be if a patient has a comorbidity of asthma would be 
keeping them from having a worsening, uh, worsening their asthma or having like an asthma attack. Um, as well as keeping an eye out for other, um, issues that could be associated with it, like otitis media, mm-hmm. um, eustachian tube dysfunction, sinusitis, uh, Mike mentioned nasal polyps, um, and atopic dermatitis, but also allergic conjunctivitis. Um, so watching out for that sort of thing. Yep. Some, uh, non-pharmacological treatment before we get into the good stuff would be removing pets. So yes. if you're allergic to your cat, time to throw that junk, that joker back to or, wherever or cats come from. Or if you don't want to throw your, your cat or wolf uh, back to where cats or wolves come from, then <laughs> allergen avoidance would probably be the best way. So mm. so I shouldn't let the wolf sleep in my bed. Yeah, so probably avoiding it during bedtime yeah. so it stays out of the bedroom, vacuuming frequently, getting we, rid of carpet. We uh, do have a no dog in the bed policy, and he never, he never, never he doesn't that. listen? Not even a little bit. In fact, he sleeps on my pillow like a human. <laughs> Just takes your he's, spot. He's longer than I am, so. You sleep on the end of the bed. Yeah, he's like, no, you can sleep down there. I got my dog bed already for you. <laughs> yeah, he's oh, the worst. Um, washing your sheets and pillowcases in hot water. Yeah, uh, they recommend every two weeks, and I think of a Fahrenheit of at least 130 degrees to kill any mites present. Every two weeks. I feel like that should be a given for bed washing, unless you're in college. Oh, man. If you're a guy in college, you're, okay, I get it. You're going to wash your sheets once a semester. I'm talking... Bro, a normal adult. I think in college, man, okay, in college, it was literally once a semester. Oh, yeah, for Best sure. Best case scenario. So as soon as your mom comes by, I check on you, make sure you're not dead. I and mean, you, we, you, she washes your sheets for you and you go back to your life. And we wash our sheets every once in a while, but I mean, maybe every two weeks or so. Yeah, I yeah. guess. I, I guess. Think, I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. If two weeks seems like a long time, but whatever. Yeah. Um, or using, obviously, uh, high efficiency particulate air filters would also help. Um, you can spend an extra $50 a month on your air filters and supposedly they keep out allergens. There you I go. haven't done the test. <laughs> That's what the sign says. We talked about humidifiers. So dust mites thrive best when indoor humidity is above 50%. So that's why people use those dehumidifiers or air conditioning or both. Would oh, they just like them. Or they just like them. Nicole's first theory. Or they just like them. Like them buzzing, you know. <laughs> it's like a sound machine. While they're sleeping. It's like a sound machine while you're sleeping. All right, so there's several different treatment options. We'll go through each and every one of them. Maybe not every one of them, but um, we're going to go through most of them. And typically first line for allergic coronitis, unless it's very, very mild, um, would be our glucocorticoid nasal sprays. So we have several different options. Um, we have our first generations and we have our second generations. Um, just to name a few the, of the first generations, we have things like Rhinocort, Nasacort that are both available over the counter. Um, Qnasal is another one. Um, for second generation, we have our Flonase. We have our Nasonex. Um, we have uh, Flonase Sensimus now, which is the formerly known uh, Veramist. Um, now, I don't know how they ended up getting back under the name. So other than like the salt forms, what what would be the difference between those two? Because I had somebody ask me and I'm like... So Flonase Sensimist is the fluticasone furate, um, which that furate has like an extra ester um, like group attached to it or something. So you get better like hydrogen bonding, I believe. And so it binds tighter to the receptors and you can... So theoretically um, it should work better? It should work once a day as opposed to Flonase being twice a day. You're going to have to do it twice a day. Um, You can dose Flonase once a day, but it doesn't necessarily last that long. (laughs) But if you give Flonase Sensimist... Uh, twice a day or once a day it should last the full 24 hours it's harder for that um, steroid to be off the receptor 
So that's the big claim to fame with that one. Gotcha. I didn't realize that um, a lot of these just went OTC not too long ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm new to the medical world, relatively speaking. But October 2013 was when uh, Nasacort went OTC. Uh, July 2014 was Rhinocort. And then um, Flonase, I don't have it here, but I think it was like 2015. Not too long. Oh, yeah. March 2015. Oh, no. Rhinocort was March 2015. Flonase was 2014. So like five years ago for Flonase. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the big thing is going to be, okay, what's the difference between first and second generation intranasal steroids? Um, technically speaking, it's the total bioavailability. So you get some systemic absorption with the steroids, even using it topically in, in sinuses. And um, the thought was, well, if we using it every day or multiple times a day for very long periods of time, are we going to eventually get too much systemic exposure with these steroids? And so um, they made the second generation, which stay very local. They don't get very many system, very much systemic absorption at all. Um, and so it's supposedly going to lower the risks of systemic effects with the second generation. Um, that being said, there are first generations that are just fine that are not going to cause problems. So how serious that risk is, um, I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but I would imagine you'd be okay. And I feel like the second gens are probably used more anyway, so they might be a bit cheaper. Um, and as far as how they're working, so they're going to work to control the four major symptoms of rhinitis, sneezing, itching, rhinorrhea, congestion. Um, so they are an effective monotherapy, just like we said, probably the most effective. Um, but they don't affect ocular symptoms as much, like itchy, red, runny eyes or whatever. Uh, but they have been shown to be more effective than nasal chromalin or nasal antihistamines. Um, so as far as nasal sprays go, because you'll see various used and prescribed, um, even though these do come OTC, they are more effective than the other nasal therapies. And the other thing is there was actually a uh, study done in British Medical Journal. Um, it was actually all the way done back in 1998. Um, it was a systematic review, and they showed um, by looking at 16 different trials that uh, the intranasal steroids were actually superior even to oral antihistamines as well. So that's kind of where the steroids have become sort of first line, uh, first generation was because, or first line treatment, I just what I'm trying to say. And that was the second um, gen antihistamines back then too, right? Yeah. And Which some weren't available, but I guess the primary ones were. And and so that's that's where we get that recommendation from. And uh, that oral antihistamines are, are going to help in some cases, but they're not going to be nearly as good as the steroids. Um so you've already talked about mechanism of action. There, one thing I thought was kind of interesting, because we, again, we don't think of very much uh, as far as drug-drug interactions, things like that, because we're using these things in the nasal cavity. We're not getting too much systemic absorption. But there has been uh, case reports, um, small case reports, where they showed in the example that they, um, two examples that I saw were intraconazole and nefazidone, um, which are going to be strong 3A4 inhibitors. We had uh, some interactions with intranasal fluticasone, where the intranasal fluticasone actually stuck around longer than it was supposed to and mm. caused some problems. So they're just case reports, so who knows what else was going mm. on, but it is something to at least consider. If you have a really strong 3A4 inhibitor, maybe some, some caution. Mm. As far as um, adverse effects as well, they're pretty minor, so just minor irritation or nasal bleeding. Uh, which usually resolve with temporary discontinuation of the nasal spray. Rare reports of septal perforations, that would not be pleasant. Um, Safety during pregnancy hasn't been necessarily studied and established, but um, 
experience shows that they're probably fine, um, not associated with adverse fetal effects. And it uh, looks like baclomethazone would be um, the one that has the most experience. Um, the uh, I actually found a huge stump. So budesonide is actually... Um, Beclomethazone also has studies, but uh, budesonide, there were several, they're older now, but there's actually several uh, uh, meta-analyses that have showed safety um, in pregnancy specifically. So um, if you look, if, if you, for those of you student-wise that are listening, I verified this with my own book, but um, if you look at like Rx Prep or any of those books that are helping you study for like NAPLAX or any of the boards, um, they actually say on there the one that's preferred in pregnancy is budesonide. So don't be surprised if Which you... Which is Rhinocort. Yeah, Rhinocort. So that's the one that, as of right now, still has the most evidence. But like Cole said, um, Beclomethazone also has some data now, too. But uh, Which is interesting because those are both first-generation Right, which are more systemic. Which are more systemic, and you still don't have... So I would imagine, and I think most of the uh, OB community out there would be comfortable in recommending a second-generation, too, and kind of extrapolating that data. But if you really want to cover your behind, Rhinocort has the... The most data. Yeah, I always double check whenever somebody gives me a pregnancy question. I um, I actually I, I did a post for another Instagram page of like meds that are safe and pre- preferred in pregnancy. So like hypertension, you know, looking at like labetalol or methyldopa, and for allergic rhinitis, I put budesonide because actually was what the guidelines said mm-hmm. for the the OB guidelines um and for pregnancy, and uh, <laughs> the hate <laughs> that I got back from females. Um, because of, because, as of, to because what? of me putting on there that I should give a steroid oh, for pregnancy. they were not pleased. Mm. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> the bad, like what gives you the right? Like, I'm just quoting the guidelines. <laughs> I didn't write them. <laughs> These are the people that deliver babies. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they know what they're talking about. It was crazy. I was like, wow, this is not what I expected. Mm. Yeah. It's cause you always want to be careful with that. And, and lactation. I always double check those. There's a good app Lactmed. Um, mm, yeah, I like great, to I'll great just app. look up whatever and, you know, it doesn't, it's not really a category thing, but it just gives you a little summary of what they have found and boom, you can make a clinical judgment based on boom. that. Boom. Easy. Yeah. That's a good app for sure. Free. It is free. I do like free. Me too. Um, so when you're actually administering the nasal spray, it is important, especially for the pharmacists out there, um, we have time to sit down with the patient, like it is important to make sure that they know how to use the nasal spray because it's a little counterintuitive even though it seems such a simple process um obviously you want to make sure you tell them to shake the medication um you can prime the bottle as well each one of the uh, medicines has a different manufacturer specific priming instruction um but the big thing is making sure the patient actually tilts their head forward everybody wants to tilt their head back when you're giving a uh, nasal spray tilt your head forward it actually um uh Push, pushes the bottle away from the uh, the midline, um, away from the septum, and actually gives a better uh, angle right to the sinuses and gives you the most most absorption. Um, and you want to make sure the patient's not sniffing really hard after the spray to try to inhale it down their their uh, into their sinuses that way. Just make sure it's you're using the the propellant of. of yeah, the some people nasal don't spray. like nasal sprays um, just because they're uncomfortable for yeah. them, but that part of it could be administration issues. Um, the onset of action um, is going to be fairly quick. However, actual relief of uh, chronic symptoms may take several days. So make sure if you have a patient that's being started on something like Flonase, you're not telling them that, okay, take this and you're going to be feeling better by later. Um, they need to know that it's probably going to take a few days. And if it's something you want them to continue to take to make sure that you really uh, emphasize to keep using it, even if you don't feel better at first. 
Um, and then the other thing is um, starting with the max dose. So everybody, like, this isn't something we necessarily have to titrate up like other medications. Like, if Flonase is four sprays total a day, you know, two in each nostril a day, however you want to split that up, just go ahead and do that. Yeah. Like, you don't need to start off and, like, taper up Flonase. Yeah. You can taper down. That's fine. Um, you know, but go ahead and start max dose, get the, con- the symptoms under control, and then bring it back down again if you want. Yeah, it's not one of those things where side effects is going to preclude you from going quickly. Yeah. Um, there's two different uh, nasal sprays, the Q-nasal um, and then the Zatanna, which are going to be dry aerosol delivery systems. So patients will most likely complain <clears throat> of taste, um, but you know, make sure they're aware of that. Those are also two of the most expensive ones as well. So uh, make sure patients are aware of that. And then, um, uh, if, Cole, I don't remember if you mentioned this or not, but there are uh, certain nasal sprays that have um, or are made with either alcohol or propylene glycol. Um, those formulations seem to be more irritating. So uh, Q-nasal, um, the Flonase and Zatanna, the ones that are uh, most commonly um, used that are that all contain alcohol. So. Right. But it seems like Flonase is far and away the, the most popular. Yeah, it is, and which I, I don't really know why, but it does seem that way marketing I've, i'm almost, sure yeah superior marketing people call every all the nasal sprays flow nasal, whatever yeah. it is you know so yeah anything else with those we could do the other nasal sprays even though we're not necessarily going in order of you know how you would treat but the other some other nasal sprays so there are combination products dimista is one um azelastine and fluticasone is what it is um yeah you know, I would probably just go with Flonase and that on some other stuff. But azelastine is is pretty commonly prescribed, and uh, that's an intranasal antihistamine. We already mentioned that Flonase or the other uh, glucocorticoids would be more effective. Another intranasal antihistamine is olopatadine or patinase. Um, and, yeah, similar. Azelastine is used way more than that. Uh, but, yeah, those are the other two anticholinergics. And they, uh, there's actually some of the studies have, have shown to be um – the the intranasal antihistamines you can actually still get some systemic absorption so you get like mildly very mild hmm. but mildly sedating um nowhere near like the oral antihistamines would be but there's a little bit another over-the-counter option is uh, a mastel stabilizer like chromalin or nasal crom um but yeah again not as effective as the glucocorticoids and there's also another anticholinergic ipratropium or atrovent which is probably i'd say second most commonly prescribed to azelastine other than Flonase. Um, yeah, but it can have local adverse effects just like the others. Uh, it's chemically related to atropine um, and basically just has anti-secretory properties when applied locally. So it inhibits the um, glands lining the nasal mucosa and hopefully helps with symptoms. So the going back real quick to the chromaline, because that's something that is OTC. It's been around forever. It's really kind of a crappy drug. <laughs> However, um, it can be used um, because it it can be it's such a fast onset. Um, it can be used for episodic symptoms. So if you know you're going somewhere like where they have a dog and you have to be there for a couple hours, um, you can administer 30 minutes prior to that exposure. Um, you know, it's those typically one to two sprays per nostril um, every four hours and. There's not really going to be any side effects. It can work on the first try, and, and then maybe that will help a little bit with, during that episodic exposure to those allergens. So that would be the, kind of one of the only times I would think about that. And even then, I'm not totally convinced that it would work better than an oral antihistamine. Right. But something to consider if you are worried about fatigue or something like that. Um, 
let's talk about oral antihistamines because that's probably going to be the second most common thing besides the the corticosteroid nasal yep. sprays. And they may even be more common even though the glucocorticoids work a little better. Yeah, that's true. So first generation uh, antihistamines, the orally, you, we got our diphenhydramines, our benadryls, our chlorpheniramine, um, and then the most common or most uh, potent, I should say, is going to be our hydroxazine. Um, there's also like brofeniramine, which is used in a lot of like the cough syrups and mm-hmm. combo products. Um, but the the major side effect for all of those is going to be fatigue. Mm-hmm. Um, they cl- they cross the blood brain barrier pretty easily. Um, they also have some antagonist uh, activity at the muscarinic receptors, so you're going to get your anticholinergic side effects um, in addition to the antihistamine receptors. And so the side effect profile is pretty pretty severe and so um, with oral anastomies especially the first generation you know that you have to be really careful with um, especially in elderly patients it can increase fall risk um, you know dry mouth fatigue is the one that's going to be the most uh, intrusive into someone's quality of life um, you don't want to take a benadryl and then have to go really focus on studying for an exam yeah at least I, I can't do it i'd fall asleep in five seconds and you see it a lot people just grew up using benadryl for like all sorts of things mm-hmm. like if i was just feeling bad whatever though she's benadryl um but really the second gens do pretty much everything the first gens do and they don't make you as drowsy um so i mean if you're looking to be drowsy you know <laughs> can't can't Go sneeze when it. you're in a coma right that, that is a good point yeah i don't well i don't know i've never actually <laughs> looked into that <laughs> But, um, yeah, so that's a good point. If you're trying to be drowsy, so things like Zequil is very expensive Benadryl. Mm-hmm. Um, but see our, our insomnia <laughs> episode for that one. We don't, we don't encourage that either. But anyways, um, second generation um, would be things like our Zyrtec, our Claritin, our Allegra. Um, now, there's also a quote-unquote third generation. These are technically still second generations, but we like to get fancy and name things different. And so third generation, we have like our Zizol, which is our levocetirazine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the, what is that? The left-handed enantiomer, isomer, mm-hmm. something like that. I forget my organic terms, um, a molecule of the cetirazine. And then Clarinex is going to be a desloratadine. Um, so with the second generation antihistamines, and I'll use cetirazine as an example, um, cetirazine is actually one of the the active metabolites of hydroxazine. And so hydroxazine gets metabolized, so they took one of the purified metabolites that doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, and so you get less uh, fatigue, less of symptoms like that, less anti-muscarinic receptor um, activity, and so um, you should get less side effects in the first generation. That's the thought process. Um, hydroxazine um, is the most potent first-generation antihistamine, and so Zyrtec, because it's direct a uh, metabolite of that is considered to be the most um, drowsy causing um, second generation antihistamine. It was the only one to, to show statistically significant drowsiness compared to placebo. Yeah. From all of them. My buddy uh, Ryan Rosenblatt's waving to us on Instagram right now because we're live on Instagram. Give give Ryan a shout out. He's on he was on last week's episode and it was, was on uh, he's on rotation with me right now. He uh, he's a little under the weather today, came in and still uh, was a boss um, with patients. Didn't he, I didn't even give him any warm-up to, uh, to see if he walked in within six seconds, had to go see his first patient, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's killing it. So good job, Ryan. And then I'm going to res- 
go back to being hard preceptor now. No more compliments. <laughs> no, no more. Um, but uh, Clareton is what I like to call the wimpiest of all anhistamines. Um, not not the most effective. Um, Allegra. Um, Allegra is considered to be the least drowsy in it of all the first or second generation antihistamines. Um, so if you have someone who's really susceptible to um, becoming drowsy from an antihistamine, Allegra would probably be the option. But uh, Allegra has kind of a weird uh, interaction with mm-hmm. uh, drink. Um, I was going to say food, but it's technically... With drink. With drink. With, drink, <laughs> with drinking. Um, so... We, we always hear the term like grapefruit juice, things like that can cause interactions. Well, if you read the package insert for fexafenidine Allegra, um, it actually says that you cannot take it with any sort of fruit juice. So not just uh, like grapefruit juice, but also apple juice or grape juice or whatever other kind of juices people are into because um, it actually blocks your organic anion polypeptide transporter, I think is the OTEP, I think is what that stands for. I think so. Um, but uh, you're going to block the absorption of that, and so it's not going to actually be absorbed, and it won't get into the system, obviously, if it's not absorbed. So you have a patient that says, oh, I've taken a leg, it doesn't work at all. Um, well, how are you taking it? Uh, I take it with my, my breakfast. Well, what do you have with breakfast? You know, eggs, a bagel, and uh, my orange juice. I swall- are you also diabetic? Swallow my yes. yes. <laughs> I am diabetic. My A1C is 13. <laughs> I just take metformin. You know, I, I wonder, because when you look at those juices, it says, like, made with 5% juice. I wonder, is it only that 5% that's, like, causing all the issues, or is it, like... Oh, no, it's all the sugar that they put in right. on there to make it taste delicious. Well, not for diabetes, for, like, interactions. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's probably. Like the other 9 to 5%, is that not interact, or is it just that, you know, that 5%? I'm talking about real juice. <laughs> the real stuff. I'm talking stuff. about that cheap stuff. The good stuff. I'm talking about that cheap stuff. <laughs> can't afford the good stuff. <laughs> Come on, Cole, you got it. I get this stuff from Concentrate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so for those reasons, I mean, people tend to have their favorites. Zyrtec works the best for me. Um, and, you know, it is the most drowsy. I think they estimate like 10%-ish of people might have some mild fatigue. You can dose it at bedtime, might help. Um, but yeah, fexofenadine has some interactions. Uh, Claritin's seems to be pretty wimpy. I like Zyrtec, but everybody's got their preferences. I like the commercial for Zyzol with that little owl. Be wise, cool. all get Zyzol. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a little pricey, it's but pretty arrogant, but it's fine. Yeah, it's the, the cool hat on. He's a professor, but he's wearing a graduate the, outfit for some reason. Yeah, he's well, old school. You're, if you're smart, you get Zyzol. You get, that's a good point. Did not think about it like that. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's the Zyrtec's better brother. You know, mm-hmm. better half now. Something like that. All but right. Yeah, but like I said, I guess. For, for any other situation where you might consider using Benadryl, like even like itching and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Can't you just use these in, I don't know, I guess because you feel the effects, I think you feel like it works a little bit faster, which is onset of action might be like a little bit faster. But for the most part, you can just use these and within 30 minutes to an hour, that's the onset of action for these things, which similar to the nasal steroids, you're going to want to give it a few days, if not a week or two to get like full benefit for allergies. But I don't know, I feel like, there's not too much of a use for Benadryl for those sorts of things. Yeah, I think, like you said, for the Benadryl, it's more going to be like your, like, quick, acute, allergic, like, uh, hives, things like that, like allergic reactions to something. Um, but, yeah, a lot of, too many adverse effects to use it chronically. Yeah. Um, especially, like, uh, with children. So, remember, Zyrtec can be dosed all the way down to six months. Um, some people think, like, oh, well, the newer generations, you got to give, you got to give Benadryl. Um, whereas, in most adults, you're going to get fatigue with Benadryl. With children, it's it's uh, 
possibly fatigue, yeah. or you're going to cause chronic agitation and make them go real, real wild. I had a you. friend who was like that anytime he got Benadryl. Really? Went wacko. We thought he was faking it, but yeah. There <laughs> you go. Out, nope, he's just, just the Benadryl. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard a I heard a, a patient one time saying that they didn't know their, they had never heard that before, gave their kids Benadryl for the first time on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> kids are just great. bouncing off the walls. <laughs> So. I had a professor who was like super against that. There's went on, on a rant about drugging your kids to go on planes and stuff like that. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, everyone needs a passion. <laughs> yeah, right. I had to uh, I had to dose my uh, sister in law's dog with Benadryl one time because we were uh, just watching TV and uh, she, she was over with, and had him in the living room and all of a sudden he just like comes in from outside. I don't know what he ate out there, but he's just like completely one giant hive. <laughs> and I was like, oh boy. So, uh, yeah, one, uh, one, one milligram per pound for dogs, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, what Google told me. <laughs> one <laughs> milligram per pound. And uh, I couldn't get him to it because he's a little Boston Terrier. He's a little hellion is what he is. But he uh, wouldn't take the Benadryl because it was liquid. So I had to soak it in bread. I thought that was clever. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Remember, this was like, what, a year ago? I yeah, this now. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He lived. He did survive. He's, he survived a few brushes with death, actually. <laughs> he's pretty resilient. <laughs> Old Maverick. <laughs> great. He's a, he's a Maverick. Great purchase. Yep. <laughs> All uh, right. So, yeah, that's it for the second gens, right? Yep. I'll talk about Singular. Yes. Let's yeah. do that. So, it's a leukotriene receptor antagonist. Um, you see it used a lot, or at least I, I see it used a lot. Uh, and I, I guess it's when people have combination of asthma mm-hmm. and allergies, they really like to use this. Um, but uh, it's Montelukast is the generic name. Um, when used as a single agent, it has been shown to reduce seasonal allergic rhinitis symptoms to some degree, um, similar to that of Claritin. So if, if, um, that tells you anything, Claritin is one of the more wimpy <laughs> second gens, but works a little bit, I suppose. Yeah. And it, it is in the asthma guidelines as well, as far as an option. So that's really kind of like cool. So the only time I think about the Montelukast would be with someone that has com- two, those comorbidities. So asthma and allergic rhinitis. Um, other than that, not that great. Yeah. Especially not for the price. Will this um, make you drowsy? People always say take it at bedtime, but I don't really associate this too much with drowsiness. Um, no, but um, I mean, I, I guess it can technically, but um, I think especially at the 10 milligram dose um, potentially can cause some abnormal dreams and anxiety, which is odd that you'd want to take that at bedtime. Yeah, but it, that's what the directions say like all yeah. the time. You know? And I think what is whichever one is a chewable, I want to say the five milligram it's chewable. five milligram chewable. Um, I don't have this in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I remember this, that... Uh, if you have someone has um, is a uh, phenyl ketoureac, they can't um, metabolize uh, phenylalanine, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, then uh, you can't have the singular five milligrams because of how it's put together. Good to be a chewable tablet. I really? think I think that's true. That a random factoid. I don't know why <laughs> that's in my head, but I feel like it is. So hopefully that's right. I, I should for that one, guys. I should have verified that before I said it on the podcast. Do we verify anything before we I, say it on the podcast? Uh, we always say we're going to. We forget. Yeah, we don't do that. We just say what's on our mind, and y'all take it for gospel. So <laughs> Either that or give us one star right. rating because <laughs> we're stupid. All right. Um, the other option that is out there that's kind of random that you don't really see hardly used anymore is the um, f- uh, five lipooxygenase inhibitors, so like Zyflo. Um, and uh, there's Zyflo CR now, finally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Been waiting on that one. Whew. 
But um, yeah, Zyflo is uh, something that it's got a lot of drug drug interactions, so a lot of sip uh, three four interactions. Um, you know, things like warfarin, propranolol, all kinds of different uh, drugs interact with it. There's also been cases of hepatotoxicity as well. So you, something you'd have to get LFTs drawn at baseline, and then um, a, and at least monthly for a few months, and then you can go to every three months. But that's a lot of LFT drawing, um, and then you'd have to avoid that in anybody obviously that has. Uh, it drinks alcohol and um, any other risks for liver toxicity, but not used very often, pretty expensive the last time I looked, and uh, something that is available. Make sure you've at least heard of it, but not not used very often. There's also uh, decongestants. So these are going to frequently be combined with the second-generation antihistamines. Um, the second-generation antihistamines don't work as well for congestion, so that's that's where you would be looking at Sudafed. Um, it has to be purchased, at least in South Carolina, and I think throughout the U.S. Probably. Behind the counter at the pharmacy, or if the store doesn't have a pharmacy, they'll probably have it behind their customer service section. Got a sign for it. It's a big pain. Show your ID and all that um, because people can um, it's synthesize it into methamphetamine with along with other things. That crystal meth life. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Um, so Sudafed is the good stuff. If you're buying it, just OTC, and it says Sudafed, then you're getting phenylephrine, um, and that's just the wimpy version. It's not really going to work very well. Yeah. There's a uh, phenylephrine has some studies now that have shown it may not even be effective at all. So you oh, got to use uh, some caution when you get Sudafed PE. Yes. It's all about marketing. It is. Tricking um, people. So Sudafed's the good stuff. Uh, it, it can keep people awake, can uh, increase heart rate a little bit, can increase blood pressure a little bit. Um, so somebody's got uncontrolled blood pressure, might want to be careful. Um, but you know, people use these things all the time. Some I've known people use them like if in replacement for caffeine. Mm-hmm. They just take it so they can kind of get through the day at work. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Seems healthy. Yes, seems healthy. Uh, like how much? Like how many? Like do they take? You know, just so I know to stay away from I that. Have no idea. He's, they just said I took a student fed this morning so I could stay awake during work. I'm like, I've and never I thought one, about and that. I took one every hour on the hour. <laughs> exactly. They're delicious. We're not recommending that. <laughs> or no. are we? Which has 12-hour, 24-hour, 4- to 6-hour. Somebody has trouble sleeping, maybe not do the 24-hour, all that good stuff, you know. Play like a champion, 24 hours it is. Before taking it at night. There's also nasal uh, decongestants. Uh, one I think works wonders is Afrin. Um, it's oxymetolazone. Um, don't use it for more than three days. It can cause rebound congestion. Um, can also cause significant nasal irritation for some people. A lot of times they'll just say it hurts to use but um man it'll decongest you real quick yep five minutes you're decongested you are done of course then like Kill said if you don't if you don't stop after a few days whew, you may have that uncle will, who's addicted to afrin you will <laughs> you be know? so congested again <laughs> you'll be using afrin for the rest of your life until and you, you never get off of until it. you go through afrin withdrawals and uh which are fun and suffer through rough rebound congestion um, there is uh, phenylephrine available as a nasal spray as well. Like yes. I said, it's not very uh, effective, but... Is it like um, neosinephrine or something like that? Yeah, and it's Little Nose is the other brand name for it because oh, it's okay. used in like really... I forget the exact how young it goes down to, but it's used in really young kids because mm-hmm. um, it's one of the only options besides like normal saline. So um, tetrahydrolazine, that uh, Tizine, I think is the brand name for it, um, is another option that I've never tried myself but is a little bit quicker acting than uh or um longer acting than something like phenylephrine but not nearly as effective as the afrin i also see people use like this rb stuff because it's um so that's a homeopathic med i don't know a whole lot about it but in children um 
where the label that you know it's too young for their kids they'll use the Zarbi stuff I don't know. oh yeah Zarbi's you know it's got like about? the yeah 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 it's got like the um B on the front of it yes it's got, yeah. it's got Zarbi's yes it's got Zarbies, the B on the that makes sense what they call it that now but it's homeopathic so you know so you know that, it works take that for what so it's you for. know it works so well right I just put essential oils up my nose. You inject them. Is it too soon to bring that up? Um, All right, what else? So if somebody is resistant to all these things, they just have really bad allergic rhinitis and it's affecting their quality of life, um, might want to refer them to an allergist and they may look into immunotherapy or desensitization therapy. Um, There's We're not going to get too far into it, but there's a lot of, I think, pretty interesting stuff they can do as far as um, exposure through injections or... um, sublingual medications uh, some options that they have that are like fda approved medications one is orlair which is a grass pollen al- uh, allergen extract there's also grass tech which is a timothy grass pollen extract ragwitech which is ragweed and then odactra which is a house dust mite immunotherapy interesting all the immunotherapies yeah also contraindicated if you have unstable asthma um contraindicated uh yeah, for patients who um, are, I believe, the, above the age of 65, they also don't want you using it. Okay, interesting. Um, I believe that's the cutoff from at least the uh, um, grass pollen and ragweed. So you're supposed to be using it under 65. It's something to do with the uh, the way the immune system responds to it after hmm. a certain age. Interesting. Um, Usually um, allergies present in childhood, but they can definitely present when you're older. Yep. I, I I guess I had a little bit of allergies this season. Did you? Just a few days worth. I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe I had, had a, I don't know, cold or something. It maybe. Was viral. I don't know. You never know. I just take Omnicef daily. Every day. Every day. It's like a vitamin for me. <laughs> never have any allergy symptoms. That can turn your um, feces at a funny color. Can it? It can. Cool. In, in children, it's a good, good little counseling point. That is a good counseling point. Feces um, will change. It can look like they have blood in their feces. Oh, oh geez. That, that was is... a good way for me to bring up feces this episode. Yeah, so. wow. You squeezed it in. It's cool. Always people do. Said he, people said he couldn't do it. <laughs> you made it look easy. Every time. Uh, anything else? That's all I got for, an hour already. for allergies, man. I know. See, 45, okay. So like 43 minutes, minutes 43 minutes is my cutoff. So maybe that's what we should make our podcast. 43 minutes every time. No. I, I'm, we're, not, we're not making a set time. Yeah, I know. It'll never happen. We could go for three hours. We, we've got to find the topic where we could actually go for three hours. I don't know if it, if it could happen. I think we just run into other topics because I don't, I don't yeah. know if there's a single topic unless I just was rambling. Yeah. I can ramble for three hours oh, for sure. I know that. Guaranteed. <laughs> I can make that happen. I can too on a good day if I take some Sudafed. Yeah, you, just gotta, you need every edge. <laughs> every edge. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, that's a wrap. Um so I think, I think we're done with that one. I don't see us going in depth on much much else unless we do a whole episode on immunotherapy. Yeah, that'd be intense. Yeah. I have to do some reviewing first. Yep. All right. Well, um, we'll wrap it up then. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you have not checked it out yet, I did a giveaway for the book um, by Dr. Tony Guerrero that is um, called The Unicorn Pharmacist. Um, and when I first read that, I was like, what in the world is this? Um, but Tony's written a whole bunch of books. So I was like, you know what? I'm checking it out because he writes really good stuff. Um, and so what the, the whole premise of the book is, uh, if you're not familiar with it, is basically he interviewed a whole bunch of pharmacists that have kind of unique jobs um, that they very much enjoy and find fulfillment in that are not like the normal cookie cutter type jobs that sometimes we think about for pharmacists and um, kind of describe 
what those jobs are, how they got them, and uh, kind of gives you different ways, different avenues of trying to find um, a spe- you know a job specifically for you, and kind of some some paths you can take to find out what your ideal job is. So it's a pretty interesting book. It's a really cool concept. Um, I he, he included me in uh, um, one of those uh, chapters, which was very flattering and. Um, you know, I definitely encourage you to check it out. It's a, it's a good book. He's got the Kindle version available on Amazon right now. And then I think the hard copy and audiobook is coming out very soon. So please make sure you go check that out. And, uh, other than that, thank you guys so much. We've been getting a ton of, uh, um, ratings on iTunes lately. So you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for that. And, um, if you guys have any questions, we're getting it a ton of emails now to to the point where it's getting really hard to answer everybody. And so if, and they're coming in on all social media platforms, which is, I guess, is what we actually, what we asked for. But now it's getting to be a little ridiculous. So um, I will do my absolute best. I know Cole's doing his best to answer everybody. Um, but if you don't hear back from us right away, I will keep going back to make sure I didn't miss any of them. But I know I have probably seven right now on across all platforms that I still haven't answered. Um, some of them are clinical questions. Some of them are just like random questions. But I will get to you guys as soon as I can. Don't think that it's all, uh, you know. Me, me just ignoring you. It's, it's not intentional. I just don't have enough hours in the day. <laughs> but uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next time. See ya.